Stories connect us as humans. A well-told story can motivate and inspire us. Storytelling is the ultimate superpower. Be The Drop is a weekly podcast that investigates how to tell stories that engage. Join me, Amelia Veal, on our shared journey to become better storytellers. In episode 241, social researcher and best-selling author of 19 books, Hugh McKay discusses the joy of discovering who we are. He explains the importance of looking at our inner self, not with a view of independence, but with one of interdependence. Hugh reveals ways to build this through reconnecting with a sense of community and interconnectedness. This is Hugh's version of Be The Drop, which was recorded live at Adelaide Writers Week. Are you starting a podcast? Narrative Marketing delivers a full range of podcast production and training options. Visit narrativemarketing.com.au or hit the link in the show notes for more details. Hugh, thank you so much for joining me for our next episode of Be The Drop. Great pleasure. Thanks, Amelia. We're here in wonderful Adelaide at the Writers Week, surrounded by sunshine and birds, and we're talking about the inner self. That is your new book that's come out, and you're going to be telling us a little bit about that. And I was just saying to you before that Be The Drop is based on a saying I like, which is, a waterfall begins with one drop, and you immediately were on board. It's my favourite subject, Amelia. I mean, I think in spite of the fact that it is a beautiful day and the birds are singing and everyone's listening to writers talking about their work, what's to complain about? When you look at the state of contemporary Australia, there are lots of things wrong with contemporary Australia. We mustn't forget the homeless. We mustn't forget the underemployed and the unemployed. We mustn't forget the lingering inequalities, particularly gender equalities and so on. So there's lots of dark stuff we still have to deal with. But really, the central theme of my work has been, let's not wring our hands about the state of the nation and wait for someone to do something about it. The state of the nation starts in your street. The way that we engage with the life of the neighbourhood and the local communities that we're part of, and I think the key motivator, the key energiser, is to realise that we've got totally hung up on the idea of personal identity. It's the era of identity politics. And identity is, of course, important. I'm a bloke. You know, that's part of my identity. I'm a husband. I'm a father. I'm a brother. Uh, I'm a writer. I'm a researcher. Yeah, all of those things about me are important to me. But the most significant thing about me has got nothing to do with my gender, my ethnicity, my religious or political beliefs, my occupation, nothing to do with that. The most significant thing about me is that I share a common humanity with you and with everyone else. The fact that you're a woman and I'm a man is not nearly as interesting as the fact that we're both humans. That's that's the real thing about us. And I, I, I worry that in this era of identity politics and identity obsession, that we become so hung up on me and, and what's unique about me and how I'm different. But let's not forget that if we keep emphasising difference, we'll become more and more fragmented as a society. I mean, one of the good things about COVID-19 is that it's brought many local neighbourhoods back together again as we've realised that we really do have to 
make sacrifices for the common good and we do have to look out for the well-being of the frail elderly and all that sort of stuff. That, that's been good. But the tide has been running in the opposite direction. You know, we're living in ever smaller households. The fastest growing household type in Australia is the solo household. That's more than 25% of all Australian households now contain just one person. There's nothing wrong with that, as there's nothing wrong with a divorce rate that means about between 35 and 40% of contemporary marriages will end in divorce. That's fine. People divorce because they want to. There's nothing wrong with a record low birth rate, etc. But we have to acknowledge that all of these trends, which we're part of, we've contributed to these trends, they are having a cumulative effect of emphasising individuality at the expense of the core truth about our inner self, which is that we belong to a social species and we're herd animals like most other living species on the planet and when we're cut off from the herd including when we cut ourselves off from the herd we suffer some research published just two years ago from the australian psychological society and swinburne uni told us that 25 percent this is astonishing amelia 25 percent of australians report feeling lonely most of the time There are a lot of things we need to address, but the underlying issue is actually the core theme of your podcast. The underlying issue is you can't have a waterfall without all these drops. And and we've got to think more of our connectedness, more of our contribution, more of our responsibility, not just an inclination. It's not about what you feel like doing. It's a responsibility to engage in the same way as we have to learn not just to be kind to people we like or agree with. We have to be kind to people, show them respect because they're humans. We can disagree furiously. We can dislike them actively, but still show ordinary human kindness towards them. It's interesting when you're talking there about a responsibility and, and as you're explaining this the disconnect and the loneliness, I myself have lived remote regionally. I lived in Broken Hill for four years and then on the west coast of Tasmania in Strawn for three years. And it's interesting. I also have previously lived in North Adelaide and I would often say to people, living in Broken Hill, remote regional and the west coast of Tassie, remote regional, I was more embraced, had a greater sense of community and neighbours, you know, literally within a week of moving in both locations, people knocking on my door in Broken Hill, hey, do you play netball? And in Strawn, oh, we see you've got a pram. We go walking, you know, and literally within a week of both those, whereas I lived in North Adelaide for a a few years and didn't know my neighbours. So in the city, we can be surrounded by many more people, but regionally have less people. And it's interesting because I think when you go regionally, people understand the responsibility of being isolated. You are physically isolated, so then they take that step to go, let's connect physically. And I think it's so interesting that your book is called The Inner Self, which could, you know... At a, at a surface level, be looking at me. Yes. Oh, this is about me. But you're saying the inner self-responsibility is in a connectedness. Yes. Yes, it is. there's a paradox in the title of the book, as you say, because it sounds as though, well, we're going to drill down and find what's absolutely unique about me. Well, what's absolutely unique about me is it's all the surface stuff. 
When we drill down, it's not about uniqueness at all. It's not about independence, it's about interdependence. It's not about uniqueness, it's about interconnectedness. And you're so right. In, in regional communities, in any human setting where the geography reminds us that we're a little group of people, and it does happen sometimes in suburbia. In fact, there are lovely examples around metropolitan Australia of neighbours who act like neighbours. And I think we've got to recapture that. I think, I think COVID helped to remind us that those people next door who we've never met are the only people we're going to see for the next couple of months, so we better find out who... I mean, when people say, I don't know my neighbours, which is a very common statement in Australia's capital cities, especially Sydney and Melbourne, when people say, I don't know my neighbours, they are never saying it with pride. They're never saying, isn't this terrific? I've finally achieved the situation where I don't know my neighbours. I've been trying to not know them. And, <laughs> I mean, it's ridiculous. When people say, I don't know my neighbours, there's a kind of wistfulness about what they're saying. They're saying, this is pretty weird. You know, I, I go to bed every night and I lay my head on a pillow that's just a couple of metres away from someone else's pillow that they're laying, and we've never met. Well, how strange. It, it does seem to me that the street, or the apartment block, but let's say the street, is the test bed of whether we've got what it means to be civilised, of whether we've got what it means to be a member of a social species. That, that, that The street is, consists of people who are probably quite unlike us. They may be a very different age, different ethnicity, different politics, different ideas of how to raise kids or different taste in music, whatever it is. But here's the test. Because they're different, we have to learn to connect with them and to be neighbours. You know, it's a special category, uh, neighbour. We know about friends, we know about colleagues, we know about families. What about neighbours? And that's what's going to determine the kind of society we become. I, I grew up a bit further out of the Adelaide Hills and, you know, we there was a gang of kids that would yes. walk home. I, I don't feel as comfortable doing that with my children now. So safety and security comes into it. So how do we recapture the sense of neighbourhood hmm. in a more cautious environment? Yeah, well, you're asking the question... So you're the person who'd better start. And when, anyone, when this dawns on anyone, that's the moment to take an initiative. We've lost the art of saying, hey, come on, have a cup of tea. It's all got to be done strictly by appointment and it's probably going to happen in a coffee shop instead of in our home. Um, but we can recapture that. And I'm not on some kind of nostalgia kick, far from it. I mean, I've been around a long time and there's no period in my life that I'd want to go back to. I mean, people say, oh, the 50s were wonderful. The 50s weren't wonderful, especially if you're a woman. There are lots of things wrong with the 50s, 60s, 70s, etc. But we can, I think, learn something from the past and from other cultures about the little tricks that help to bind us together as a community. Now, you mentioned saying hello. It's ridiculous if you're walking along a street near where you live and you pass someone and you don't greet them. Don't smile, don't say hello, or wave at someone across their front fence. What a weird thing to do. We've drifted in that direction, but it's not irrevocable. And a crisis, of course, brings us back. COVID 
bushfires, floods, catastrophes. What do we do when there's a bushfire? The community comes together like at no other time. I think one of the tragedies for us, not just Australia, Western societies in general, I think the tragedy would be if we became the kind of people so obsessed with our individuality, with our personal identity, that it takes a crisis to bring us together. Surely we don't have to wait for another pandemic, we don't have to wait for another natural disaster to start connecting with our neighbours. Let's start now. I mean, in the first half of life, naturally, we're pretty obsessed about establishing their identity, the job, the house, the car, the partner, the kids, etc. Now, there's some very interesting research, Amelia, that almost all of us, typically in our 40s, when we say, actually, there's more to this than just me. A natural part of maturing is to realise that where we belong to each other, that we're, we're part of this grand term common humanity. And I think when we start to relax about our personal sense of identity and tune in to this much greater idea that our contribution is through engagement and belonging and giving other people a sense of belonging, that's when life becomes much richer. So for you then, what are some of these key things that people can do to connect with the inner self that connects with others? Mm. How do we go through that? Well, people have all sorts of techniques for doing it. Now, you've mentioned meditation, which is a very increasingly popular technique. People don't always realise where it's going to take them, but you're starting to realise where it's taking you. And in fact, there's a particular uh, Buddhist sub-branch of meditation called loving-kindness meditation, which is all about focusing on people we're having trouble with and trying to think more kindly of those people to understand why they're the way they are and to think about how we might connect with them in a more personal, uh, in a kindlier way. But I think if, if we're not having real trouble with the idea, but only with coming up with ways of expressing the idea, then it's easy. Start with the smile. Start with the... Think of everyone you meet, because this is true... Everyone you meet carries a shadow with them. Everyone you meet has experienced some sadness. Everyone you meet, including people you don't actually meet but just see in the bus or passing in the street, has had some kind of tragedy in their life and they might be experiencing it now. If you say, hi, how's it going, without even expecting a conversation but just an acknowledgement that they are on the planet with you, that can be a powerfully, like a magic therapeutic moment for that person. I think we need to recognise that of all the social emotional needs that humans have, the deepest and most powerful need is the desire to be taken seriously. Hear me. Acknowledge that I exist. So a smile can be interpreted at at a moment of need in the other person, A smile can be a wonderful symbol of the fact that I take you seriously enough to notice you're there and to smile at you and say hello. Or if I'm sitting next to you on the bus and you're starting to pour out your troubles to me, I'm listening attentively and sympathetically. 
Those are the little things that we can do. Just look for ways to show people that we've noticed. And we actually want them to be part of this neighbourhood, this community. There's no, there's nothing, there's no magic solution. I mean, there's nothing mysterious or difficult about this. It's the really simple things that individuals do one by one that send out the ripples of kindness and engagement. And that example is contagious. And it's interesting because what you're talking about is going back to the the core human nature, you know, that connectedness. And in a way, you know, you're saying it's sim- it, do the simple things. I think in a way we've got caught up in the complex mm. and, you know, we, which is important. We need to have space for the complex and understanding differences and appreciating differences in identity. But I think, as you're saying, in that we've sort of missed some of this, the core bit of who it is and what it is to to be human Mm. and how we can do that. And and I think that's where we see these links with anxiety and mental health. And so, you know, it's about finding that joy in connectedness. Yes, absolutely right. And I'm not so stupid or naive as to suggest we should abandon our smartphones or not leave a relationship that's unsatisfactory or that we should suddenly have more kids in order to promote the community or, you know, maybe we should be a little less busy. Maybe we should spend a little less time on social media or doing other things with information technology, but we're not going to give any of those things up. That's how the modern world is. So let's take a clear-eyed look at it and say, yep, I'm part of all those trends, so I won't change the way society is. I won't reverse any of these trends, but I will look for ways to live that help to counteract the effects of these trends. No, no one's going to chuck their smartphone in the, in the river torrents, but we don't have to have them on all the time. Maybe a little bit of a trade-off. Maybe one of those hours should be spent having coffee with a neighbour. Yeah, and that's very deliberate and considered. So for you then, where do you see it going? I'm very optimistic about this, Amelia, thanks to COVID. I really think we've had, well, we know we've had a lucky escape compared with the rest of the world, but we've also had a big fright and we've also risen magnificently to the occasion. Were we confident that if there was the threat of a pandemic, Australians would accept the need to make personal sacrifices in the interest of the common good? Would we stay home? Would we wear masks? Would we not shake hands? Would we do all sorts of things, not I mean, to protect ourselves, sure, but mainly to save the lives of other people who might be much more frail than we are if they got the virus? Answer, we, we didn't know whether we could do it, but we did it. It's a fantastic reflection on Australian culture and on Australians' willingness to behave kindly, because that's what this has been about. It's been a mass demonstration of kindness, of Australians acting lovingly towards each other by being restrained and keeping their distance and all that stuff we find so difficult to do. So I think the long-term... People who lived through the Great Depression in the early 30s were transformed by that experience. And the values they learned, people who lived through that were changed by it and ended up saying, look, it was awful, but it was the making of us. Really, we were very lucky to have been shaped by that kind of 
difficult period. Now, I think we'll have a COVID generation of young adults who'll say, that was really weird. And, and you know, we've been, we lost our job or we had lots of times when we were more lonely than ever. And, but there were wonderful things about understanding the importance of the neighbourhood and looking out for the old bloke at the end of the street who might need someone to get his prescription made up for him or do his shopping or mow his lawn or something. We connected with all that sort of stuff and that's never going to leave us. We're going to remember this COVID period as a formative period, bringing out the best in us. And I don't think we're going to, we're going to forget those lessons. The challenge is going to be, uh, and this is what my next book is about, can we take those lessons and apply them more generally to our daily life when COVID is a distant memory. And that is the interesting one, isn't it? And again, that comes back to taking responsibility. So it's responsibility for our actions and then responsibility for the manifestations of those actions. Yes. Hugh, thank you so much for your time. Great pleasure. Thank you, Amelia. Thanks for joining me for another episode of Be The Drop. Don't forget to subscribe in order to ensure you never miss out on one of our weekly episodes. Be The Drop is produced by Narrative Marketing, where we believe that stories connect individuals and that powerful storytelling can positively impact the world. To unleash your storytelling superpower, visit narrativemarketing.com.au or check out our social links in the show notes. To contact me directly with any specific comments you have, you can email me via amelia at narrativemarketing.com.au. And don't forget that whilst a task or challenge may seem overwhelming, a waterfall begins with one drop. And look what comes from that. This is a Narrative Network podcast.